Welcome to another edition of American Countdown. Today we're going to be discussing a wide range of topics, but then it can boil down to this. It's time to unmask the media's campaign against President Trump that is continuing unabated in an unprecedented fashion in the last six months and is likely to continue down that unprecedented path over the next uh, four months before Election Day. We have gone from starting off with an almost unprecedented impeachment on unprecedented grounds. Uh, the first, the, the most analogous would be to Andrew Jackson in, eight, in the 1860s, a first-term president facing an impeachment after he faced a special counsel almost as soon as he was elected. After that, facing a pandemic that triggered a lockdown of an unparalleled scale and scope with the media exaggerating information and risk all the way along. And then after that, race riots and riots and looting all across the country to the degree that we actually had part of a city taken over by a group calling themselves the new country of CHOP or Chaz, whatever it was on any given day, for weeks at a time. All of this is unparalleled on its own accord. Putting it together is extraordinary. And that's, in fact, where we currently stand in the contemporary environment. Let's start with the media campaign on the pandemic. The media campaign on the pandemic has always been about hype and hysteria, not facts or science or data. Indeed, if you we dig into the history of what took place, first they started off by saying uh, that all we, we need is some tests. We need to get uh, testing going because if once we get the testing going, we'll know whether or not this disease is lethal or not. Well, so we get mass testing. And once we get the mass testing results, we see that, in fact, it's not very lethal. It appears to be less deadly than the Asian flu of 1958, less deadly than the Hong Kong flu of 1968, far, far less deadly than the Spanish flu of 1918, uh, nowhere near plague-like death rates. Indeed, we have something that for most people, uh, people who are not in a nursing home, people who are under 60 years of age, people who are otherwise healthy, they face a risk from COVID-19 less than a severe flu season. Uh, yet, what did the media do as soon as this data information came in? Well, they knew that more tests would lead to more results just by definition. There would be more cases because you're testing more people. Well, they decided to ignore the lethality rate, ignore the real data about hospitalization capacity, and instead started just screaming and going nuts about how terrible it was that the testing there are more cases just because the more tests came about because they demanded it. Uh, I would note as a general rule, we do not do mass testing of things like flus and the like, maybe for this reason in substantial part. And yet here we are uh, back with a sort of craziness uh, because the demands for mandatory masks for employers, for businesses in order to get services, in order to walk outside, in order to go to the park. Uh, by governments in various places across the country. As we detailed in the last podcast, there are constitutional grounds to question, contest, and challenge these mandatory masks, particularly given the fact that the medical data and medical literature continues to be conflicted on this issue of what is actually whether the masks are either necessary or beneficial. So we have a risk that for most people is not very high, is less than a severe flu season, We've never done mandatory masking for a severe flu season, so that's part one. Part two 
is we have lots of medical literature and evidence just a couple of months ago from our own Surgeon General here in the United States from who YouTube says is the premier uh, medical literature source on this with the World Health Organization just a couple of months ago, both saying that masks would not be protective. So here we have a virus that's not very dangerous to most people and people being required to wear a mask that's not even uh, clearly established will protect you from the virus. And there may be collateral problems with the mask, particularly if worn over an extended time period, depending how tight it is, depending how long it's worn, depending on what context it's worn, uh, by people who mostly are not trained in wearing masks. And so the mostly it's a psychological Milgram experiment on the broader population to coerce people into mass compliance and mass behavior. And that's what it feels like. That's what it looks like. That's what it sounds like, because that's probably what it is. And it's part of the media's campaign to terrorize the populace. And their real objective has nothing to do with the pandemic. Their real objective is a form of political, social, and cultural control. But their immediate short-term obsession is clearly all about, which was revealed by the fact that they embraced mass protests, mass riots, mass looting of various kinds. They, they supported the mass protests knowing that people were out and about. And as Minnesota recent test shows, that the entire surge of positive tests for COVID-19 in Minnesota is almost exclusively amongst the exact same group that was out engaging in mass protest. But the media won't admit that. But the fact that media greenlit those protests tells you they don't care about COVID-19. They don't care about the pandemic. That's not why they're concerned. If they were concerned about COVID-19, they would have been discouraging and dissuading people from engaging in mass public protest activities in close continuous contact under their interpretation of the dangerousness of COVID from outdoors. After all, these are the same people demanding that beaches be shut down, even though in the open water and the open air and the sunshine and the sunshine and the heat and the humidity and the wind, it is very, very, very unlikely based on all available data to get COVID-19. They said that marching in close continuous contact uh, in public streets, taking over city buildings like they did in Seattle with city hall, all of that dynamic, they said somehow that that was uh, completely okay. So the clearly it's purely political. The goal is to terrorize the populace into reducing the economic productivity of the country, into feeling they're in a state of permanent terror and fear so that they will be less likely to support President Trump in November. This is about a media campaign to kill Trump's campaign. It's, it's analogous, if you want to understand it, Look at how the CIA and the State Department have tried to destabilize governments all around the world. I mean, you can look at the obvious examples of the coups and things of that nature, but you don't need to go that far. You can simply go to looking at uh, recent examples. Look at what they've done in Eastern Europe. We'll look at what they've done in Central Europe. Look at the various color revolutions they did. Look at the spring revolution, uh, the various spring revolutions in the Middle East. Look at the attempts to overthrow Venezuela. Whatever you think about Venezuela, we have no business trying to overthrow their government. That's up to Venezuela. But look at the patterns. The patterns are to build fake narratives, De, uh, destabilize the government, destabilize credibility in the government. This used to be taught by people at the Einstein Institute, a weird, weird name for the Institute because mostly what they did had nothing to do with Einstein. What they were doing was teaching people and training people how to destabilize government, uh, the credibility of government, the authenticity of government. And so they're willing to go to any lengths. Just as they announced an unparalleled special counsel investigation without any factual substantiation, knew at the time it was fake. They knew at the time there was no factual basis for what they were doing, and yet they did it anyway. They, the same pattern repeated itself with the 
bogus Ukrainian impeachment effort. And so they're just willing to escalate and escalate and escalate. And that's why we have record-setting hysteria related to a basically a severe flu for most people. And people are being put into panic positions and dividing the populace and having them at each other's throat because they've been locked up and shut down because they're, the economy uh, had collapsed for a period of time because they didn't have security of opportunity because they were forced together in close continuous contact, but without the socialization and outdoor activities and work-related activities that make most people's life purposeful and satisfactory. Because of that massive psychological campaign on people, uh, the that led to and helped trigger the various protests that turned into riots and looting and even more divisiveness uh, and various social censorship campaigns that are taking place out of that requirement of conformist thought, sort of a Maoist, Khmer Rouge, shining path, the kind of mindset or mentality. This happened because the media is pushing fake news narratives, and the media is pushing these fake news narratives because they are obsessed with defeating President Trump. Unmasking the media agenda reveals that their goal is to defeat Donald Trump come hell or high water by November putting out fake stories that maybe he won't even run, that that was circulating this weekend, including by a Fox Business News analyst. Uh, they put it and repeated it at the, in the Drudge Report and other places. Complete nonsense, complete gibberish. This was the same ludicrous propositions that were being circulated in 2016. Maybe Trump's going to step down. Maybe Trump won't run for re-election. They're trying to plant the idea in his head. Two parallel hit pieces in the Los Angeles Times and another publication, uh, mainstream publication, putting out fake polling information, claiming that, oh, the, the, the base of Trump is abandoning him. Working class women don't like him anymore. A whole bunch of people are not supporting him. We'll get to the fake polling that's taking place, repeating the exact same polling errors of 2016, except more egregious than even then. That you dig in the data doesn't even mean what they say it meant uh, to the degree that it could even be viable, and there's questions about that. So that's the, the media's campaign is solely about how do you defeat Trump. That's why they contradict themselves from one week to the next about masks, contradict themselves from one week to the next about how dangerous it is to go outside and, and join in public participation like protest or going to the beach. That's why they contradict themselves from week to week about a range of topics. Their goal is simply what can we do to defeat Donald Trump? What hype hysteria can we spread to defeat Donald Trump? What propaganda can we push? And complicit with that are people still within the administrative state Deep state, dual state, call it whatever you want. Key people who are never elected, who are never uh, put in that position of power by anyone who was elected, are continuing to use that power and their access to information to leak fake news stories and fake news narratives to hurt the president and try to trigger conflicts around the world. It appears that the next goal after the pandemic uh, push did not achieve either the economic or social objective that the media wanted in destabilizing the country for the purposes of defeating President Trump, that the rioting and looting may be backfiring on their political objective. Maybe the next step is to try to trigger a foreign conflict. Maybe that shows why John Bolton actually published his book at the timing he did. And there's increasing questions about who's really paying for Bolton. In other words, Bolton is now not going to get the profits from his book in all likelihood because he did not go through the classified permission process required may even be subject to criminal prosecution, probably should be. Whether that happens or not is still open, given that almost nobody that tries to hurt Trump ever faces criminal prosecution, no matter how much criminal behavior they engage in. Well, anybody who helps Trump is targeted for criminal prosecution, no matter how innocent they may be. So, But the question is, is somebody else paying John Bolton? 
is somebody else behind it. John Bolton's been seen meeting in secret in various foreign locations in the Mideast and elsewhere uh, since the time period he left the White House. Did somebody else say, hey, if you write a book hurting President Trump, we will give you money as a consulting contract? And maybe that's why Bolton doesn't care at all about whether he gets the profits from his book or not. Was willing to forfeit that and forego that in exchange for a secret foreign donation. Who knows? But that at least would explain his course of conduct better than the explanation we have currently. Then we have some rogue agents claiming falsely that they told the president that the Russian government put out bounties on U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan. No evidence for that. No evidence at all. No substantiation of it. Sources not disclosed. According to the president, never happened. They don't have any evidence of that. And yet again, they're trying to put something out to try to stoke conflict, stoke controversy, stoke uh, some, some new war in, in some, part, some other part of the world. And why? To defeat Donald Trump. They are willing to risk the complete collapse of our economy, our civil society, our core culture, our history, and even peace to defeat Donald Trump. That is the obsession of the institutional press and the Trump haters. They've been willing to forfeit and forego every principle they've ever had or held. And you can see it in live time by them contradicting themselves from week to week. In the capacity of COVID is when there is the latest hoax information being pushed by trying to suggest that there's some massive risk that requires a lockdown and it's a and mass social cultural control with forced masks, not allow kids to go to school, not allow college kids to go back to college, delay their education in ways that they can never recover from in, in multiple contexts. Let's go back and remember as to the mask issue, why it was that masks were not re required or even recommended initially for COVID-19. There was a good uh, set of tweets uh, by someone, uh, Jonathan, at JCHO710 on Twitter. Uh, you can find some of his tweets on my Twitter feed at Barnes underscore underscore line law. Uh, here's just one of them. This is from a doctor, well-regarded, Dr. Scott Jensen. MD, quote, a, nine, uh, a, a N95 mask, and they call it N95 because it's the best mask out there and because it can, uh, with a 25% level of confidence, get rid of a whole bunch of filters. Even the N95 mask, which has the highest rate of filtering out particles, only filters out particle matter larger on average than 0 0.3 microns. So the question is, how big is a COVID particle? Well, according to the available evidence, a COVID particle is about 0.1 micron. In other words, it's too small for even an N95 mask to effectively filter out. Indeed, what Dr. Jensen said is that this idea of people doing anything particularly useful with a mask is just, quote, Looney Tunes. That's a medical doctor saying it's Looney Tunes that even the best mask available on the market, and 95% of people do not have an N95 mask in the public, not even available in most places uh, due to limitations on production and supply because, in part, we depend on China for the production of these. And what China did produce in parts of Europe turned out to be completely useless, didn't even meet N95 standards. But here, the doctor is saying that even the best mask out there will not defend you from COVID. And if you think it will, that's, quote, Looney Tunes. Similarly, from the New England Journal of Medicine, on masks about COVID, quote, we know that wearing a mask outside healthcare facilities offers little, if any, protection from infection. 
That's what they said just in May. Another doctor, Alan Preston, professor at, of epidemiology, quote, this is a rookie 101 mistake for in this area of field. You don't take the incidence rate to figure out the case fatality. You look at the prevalence, and it was stunning the media would put on these so-called experts and not raise the issue. Because, quote, the case fatality rate is just completely and absolutely overstated. So, again, we're requiring people to wear masks that do not have a proof of protection for a disease that simply is not that high a risk to begin with. And we're asking them to wear it in contexts and places where there's extremely low rate of transmission anyway. As the U.S. Department of Labor, just a little while ago, just a few weeks ago, a few months ago, said on surgical masks for COVID, quote, it will not protect the wearer against airborne transmissible infectious agents due to the loose fit and the lack of seal and inadequate filtration of those masks. Even a surgical mask won't work to keep out COVID, according to the U.S. Department of Labor just a little while ago. Indeed, from inside surgery, a premier surgeon's general, a journal, in 2009, during the swine flu outbreak, they did an article called Standard Surgical Masks Do Not, Do Not, Do Not Protect a Wearer from Getting Swine Flu, which is very similar by particle transmission size to COVID-19. Indeed, they described that the, the idea that this would prevent the transmission of a flu uh, is, quote, essentially worthless. Indeed, they note the only problem with that strategy is that for prevention of transmission of swine flu, this type of a mask is essentially worthless. Surgical masks will not block aer aerosolized particles as small as a droplet containing influenza variants from entering the airway. They essentially stop only spittle from a surgeon's mouth and, and mucus, mucus from a surgeon's nose from inadvertently dropping into a wound while conducting a surgery. That's what a surgeon's mask is for. It's not to keep anything out. It's to keep the surgeon from spreading anything and, it does, and not for the, to keep the, uh, prevent him from spreading COVID, but from spreading other things by uh, other means. So there's just further and more evidence that we do not have substantial medical evidence. Any agreement with the medical literature, any accord amongst doctors and scientists that these masks will actually effectively prevent the transmission of COVID-19, a disease which by all estimates now is less lethal than the flu for most people. And, and in contrast, there is evidence out there that raises questions about the safety and healthiness of a mask and whether or not a mask can cause carbon dioxide poisoning. There's been various, I read articles from the National Institutes of Health and across the scientific medical literature that did raise the questions about whether or not and how much it is safe, whether masks, in fact, can cause difficulty. Indeed, when you dig into the data, you find that people who are being dismissive of that are not paying sufficient attention to what the data actually shows, supports, and substantiates. Indeed, when you, when you look at the actual data, what they find is that there is a substantial risk of a mask, depending on how you wear it, depending on the kind of mask, depending on where you are at with the mask, of that causing health problems. 
Indeed, here's the article from the National Institutes of Health published there. Carbon dioxide, this is a quote, carbon dioxide, CO2, rebreathing has been recognized as a concern regarding mask use and is related to symptoms of discomfort, fatigue, dizziness, headache, muscular weakness, and drowsiness. These are, the main, these are the, some of the same things people are writing to me about. They're saying when I wear a mask, I, I don't feel comfortable. I get anxiety. I start to feel tired. Sometimes I feel dizzy. I'm often getting bad headaches. I'm feeling drowsy. Uh, my body feels weak. Well, that's actually what the science says can happen. Because the mask has to be a certain type of mask. It has to be worn a certain way. It has to be worn a certain length of time. You have to be in a certain setting. You have to know how to do all of that. Or these problems of carbon dioxide poisoning can, in fact, occur. So we're basically telling people to take undue risks, contrary to their constitutional liberties or what should be recognized as a constitutional liberty, to dress yourself as, and express yourself as you see fit for through your clothing, that we're asked uh, to ignore all of that, to vitiate the rights, to, ex uh, to uh, experience the risk, all in order to protect against a disease that is actually very low lethality by a means, a mask, that has no proven medical evidence with consistency across the board of being, in fact, something that can protect you uh, when you need it. So that's the situation that we're currently at. And that's due to media hype and media hysteria. Meanwhile, we continue to see the economic fallouts of COVID-19. Uh, Zimbabwe shuttered its stock exchange, is now blocking all mobile payments as its currency collapses again. So here, and the people had assumed mobile money payments would be a way to get around currency problems. Well, not in Zimbabwe. Uh, the COVID-19 and the lockdown has pushed them back over the edge again. In the same uh, degree, we find a wide range of other economic activities raising questions about the effect of COVID-19, including the Las Vegas iconic business Cirque du Soleil filed for bankruptcy. Chesapeake Energy, one of the big shale uh, oil businesses, filed for bankruptcy. So we're seeing more filings for bankruptcies of major institutions and establishments due to the effects of the lockdown. Meanwhile, the 83 tons of fake gold bars were found, and it appears to be connected to China has apparently been counterfeiting gold bars. So much as they're involved with fentanyl and spreading it in the United States and the West, involved with drug cartels, involved with TikTok and various IP efforts to undermine intellectual property in the United States, infiltrate the United States, be able to illicitly surveil on the United States, corporate espionage in the United States, they look up the Confucius Institute that they're setting up at various colleges and universities. You've seen all the indictments about various professors that were secretly on Chinese payroll involved with national secrets and other information, including universities and institutions like Harvard. And, of course, this entire virus came from China and may have come from a lab in China, either deliberately or accidentally, but all of which they hid and covered up because of how they handled the virus now apparently showing up involved in trying to destabilize currencies around the world effectively by uh, and destabilize people's economic position by circulating fake gold bars. 83 tons of fake gold bars found, according to this article. Meanwhile, the Fed has continued to manipulating the corporate bond market and in order to uh, basically try to defray the collapse 
And as Schiff and others are reporting, the V-shaped recovery narrative appears to be falling apart related to what has been trans- transpiring and taking place. So that is, this, that is what's going on economically across the globe in response to the COVID debacles. Uh, more not so much COVID as, in fact, the pandemic response to COVID. But that isn't all, of course. There is one group of people looking to make a lot of money on COVID-19, and that would be Big Pharma. As we've been reporting here for many months, one thing to watch was which drugs they said you could use and which ones they couldn't. Did they promote something uh, like hydroxychloroquine, which has been around for decades, known to be safe and reliable in that context, showed early promise uh, of being helpful for COVID-19. Other countries reported it's being successful use for COVID-19. Individuals report it being successful for COVID-19. Doctors report it being successful or helpful when dealing with COVID-19. And yet it has been dismissed and constantly defamed as a useful tool by the medical establishment, who instead is saying, no, you need to use our patented drugs instead. Patented drugs in which we have connection or correlation or uh, can have uh, a form of collusion with enrichment from its use. And, of course, it turned out that the alternative patented drugs are going to cost somewhere around 100 to 500 times more expensive than the non-patented alternative. Probably just a coincidence, right? And, of course, that drug serves no purpose unless the media hype and hysteria maintains the current pace. Uh, While the media's motivation may be focused on Trump, Big Pharma profits from that motivation. And, of course, Big Pharma spends a lot of money on big media advertising, All you got to do is watch a show to realize that. So that continues uh, to be a major area of concern as we move forward in the COVID-19 environment. Meanwhile, various forms of the culture wars continue unabated. Uh, The various rioting and looting continued across the country in certain parts of the country. Attempts to tear down statutes continued. People uh, raided a private neighborhood, and two lawyers uh, came out with guns. Talking about lawyers, guns, and money like the old song sings of well two middle-aged lawyers came out one with an a-15 one with a handgun uh, making it clear they were going to shoot anybody who decided to go any further than they already had these group of uh sort of so-called protesters but they were turning into rioters they ended up attacking someone for praying uh holding a prayer protest earlier in the day in st louis then uh basically were broke into this private neighborhood threatened and were trespassing upon the property of those folks, and they decided they were going to make a clear stand, and their presence of those guns backed people off. Didn't stop the various parts of the big social media, big tech world from coming after them, doxing them, trying to defame them, trying to destroy their careers, trying to weaponize state bars to take away their law licenses of anybody who has a dissident or different political opinion or political action than them. So that's you know continues unabated. Meanwhile, the Supreme Court declined to hear a challenge to Trump's border wall, which will help Trump's border walls move forward, while the Supreme Court, in a close 5-4 to four decision, decided that Louisiana's abortion restrictions were unconstitutional. Here, Justice Roberts had, was dealing with a case that he himself said just a few years ago was that these abortion restrictions, like the ones Louisiana had in place, were constitutional. And now he reverses himself just a few years later. His excuse... Well, this is uh, necessary to maintain stare decisis or precedent. Uh, And there's arguments for that, but nowhere, it's rarely been applied like this, where suddenly just a few years later, you suddenly say your dissent in a prior case no longer matters because now if you voted the same way 
then what would happen is the law would actually change. And he didn't want that to happen. So you continue to see the Supreme Court, even Republican-appointed justices on the Supreme Court, protect gay rights, protect abortion, protect certain issues popular on the cultural left uh, when the pressure is there. And this was just the most egregious. Here's the same justice who said a few years ago, this is completely constitutional, turns around and admits, by the way, I'm contradicting myself. I thought I was, uh, I still believe I was right the first time, but because it would be inconvenient, I'm going to uh, change my opinion and, uh, and rule this law unconstitutional. That's the environment that in which we currently reside. Well, and maybe the kind of lawyer who could replace uh, Justice uh, Roberts could be the lawyer who a man who just raised $12 million is building to create. It's the world's first robot lawyer. That's right. Apparently they're trying to design a robot lawyer that could just answer your questions by computer algorithm. I can tell you there's probably some robots that would be better than some judges I've had to deal with over time. And maybe better than some lawyers, too. Uh, time will tell. Uh, meanwhile, the a scandal rocked the Democrats in Colorado. As it turned out, Senate candidate John Hickenlooper is facing major scandals involving a wide range of issues that could complicate the Democratic effort to try to steal the Senate in 2020 from the Republican Party. So they, they needed to win Colorado They need because they need to win uh, four seats to take to get to 50-50 to even have a shot, assuming a Democrat wins the White House. Uh, if not, they would need five seats to take over. And for that, they were needing to pull an upset in Maine, pull an upset in Colorado, pull an upset in Arizona, uh, and then try to hold in Alabama and pick off at least one other state uh, that and hold in Michigan. That seemed unlikely, and that seems now even more unlikely due to the scandal that Hickenlooper has caught himself in. Remember, Hickenlooper ran for president earlier in the year. Meanwhile, on the war front, there is concern that the earthquake reported in Iran may not have been an earthquake, but may have been a blast from suspected nu a nuclear missile site, which would suggest much more nuclear missile preparation than Iran uh, claimed that they were doing. President Obama's Iran deal may have facilitated Iran, who has sworn its opposition to America, who today took out a criminal warrant to have President Trump arrested and put in prison, uh, is now actually developing nuclear missile technology, if that concern turns out to be accurate. Meanwhile, in Mexico, drug cartels sent four squads to kill Mexico City's top cop. So you have assassination efforts going on in Mexico. You have potential nuclear weapon developments in Iran. You have the various pandemic fake news being spread by the media. You have the economy continuing to struggle while the Fed picks winners and losers. And you continue to have, of course, the rioting and looting taking place across the country. Uh, yet, as is revealed in another poll, a majority of Britons are proud of their history and recognize that the activists who want to tear down Churchill statute and others are completely out of touch with their local populace. In fact, though the media wouldn't let you know that based on their course of behavior. In a positive piece of news on the cultural front, new technologies reveal the, de the more of the secrets of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Remember the Dead Sea Scrolls discovered, one of the greatest discoveries, discoveries of old documents in world history. 
problem was a lot of them were in poor shape and it was tough for them to read them all. Well, they're increasingly developing technologies that's making that possible. So that will be fascinating to uh, watch and to sort of follow. NBA players, meanwhile, will be allowed to wear statements on their jerseys. I wonder if any of those statements will be MAGA. I wonder if any of those statements will just be an American flag. I wonder if any of those statements will be in honor of civil rights and civil liberties across the board universally applied. I wonder if any of them will say, let's stand up for Hong Kong against China's oppression. Uh, let's see what they're willing to actually do. Or do they just want to be popular on Twitter and social media and with their marketing allies and with the, the big shoe companies? Maybe they'll put out, maybe they'll put something on their jerseys that says, stop making Nike shoes with forced labor in China. We'll see what they're able and willing to do. Uh, but I'm not holding out hope for anything particularly optimistic. And we'll see whether wokeness works as a business model in sports, because historically, it has not. In fact, it hasn't worked anywhere from a marketing economic perspective. Apparently, the military's answer to deal with all this is to look at developing killer drones where all you have to do is just plug and play. Developing drone killing technology by, the, by consolidating a wide range of AI capabilities with existing drones. Uh, nothing like that sounds like the Terminator to me. So that's the kind of future that the military is looking forward to. So uh, meanwhile, of course, courts are continuing to use the excuse of, uh, very, of COVID-19 to release dangerous criminals while locking up business people and parents. And now are, look, have, uh, are ordering release of illegal immigrants present in the country, again on the grounds that COVID somehow is a threat to them. So COVID magically does not threaten protesters, rioters, and looters, uh, but does threaten uh, people who might be uh, willing to question or challenge or contest uh, protest. When they, when, when they were doing protests for, against the lockdown, then it was dangerous. When they were doing protests for BLM and, and the rest, then suddenly magically it wasn't dangerous. So uh, you can apparently lock someone up uh, if they are a part of an unprotected political group. But if you are now a protected political group, like illegal immigrants apparently are, suddenly COVID-19 magically becomes a threat and you can be at risk. Just as COVID-19 magically knew to distinguish between Walmart and your local business, it knew not to go into Walmart, but it, it, it knew to go into your local mom and pop shop. The same sort of pattern apparently is revealing itself again. That reveals the degree to which this is media manipulation and ideologically driven uh, distortion of the pandemic for politicized partisan purposes. And in that capacity of dealing with conceding to the political power structure as, as it exists, L'Oreal uh, announced that the great uh, fashion company and skin product company that they are going to remove words like whitening from their skin products. This is literally Orwellian at a level that even Orwell didn't imagine or could have conceived. It would have added comedic quality to his books from the 1940s, about 1984, and Animal Farm, that we are to the place where he came up with famous lines like, some pigs are more equal than others, uh, the, to deal with how communists redefine democracy. Well, apparently now it's all about words, so all of a sudden whitening cannot exist from your skin products. Uh, meanwhile, the uh, European Central Bank's economic reaction to all of this is to boost bond buying by another trillion euros. 
So you're seeing just massive, massive amounts of central banks infusing their cash into the economy to try to prop it up while it undergoes these, this lockdown experiment that is showing devastating effects on the economy. One economic institution created by Congress that put Elizabeth Warren in fame was the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, but the problem with it was Congress attempted to create an executive agency that would legally be outside of the president's control. Well, the Supreme Court today said that was unconstitutional. That violated the executive branch's prerogative to make sure that the elected head of the executive branch could control what the executive branch of government actually does. So it was a very good ruling from the Supreme Court today that reinforced the importance of protecting the elected branches of government's constitutional authorization and control over the rest of that division of government. While food bank lines reemerged in certain parts of the country, and the Airbnb CEO said travel may never be the same, uh, and you have Big Pharma trying to profit by ratcheting up charges as much as $3,000 per patient for a pill that would be about 70 bucks if offered by other people, despite the fact that the risk is mostly diminishing in this context. Uh, we see that the cultural wars and conflict reach new levels when people like Matt Taibbi, who's a left-leaning reporter for Rolling Stone, is willing to second-guess and question popular books and iconic books on the cultural left like White Fragility. What he identifies in the book is that the book is basically about sort of mind control for the new class of business consultants. So somebody writes a book and says, everybody's secretly racist, and then says, you know what, you as an employer better hire me who wrote the book to help make sure your people are less secretly racist. That's really what the nature of the racket is behind the popular book, White Fragility. And Taibbi does a good job dissecting the problematic aspects of it from a left-leaning perspective, uh, the, though many of his critiques and criticisms could be just as equally applied uh, for any, people of any political persuasion. So the title of the article is On White Fragility, a few thoughts on America's smash hit number one uh, guide to egghead ra uh, radicalism and racial uh, equality. A core principle of the academic movement that shot through elite schools in America since the early 90s was the view that individual rights, humanism, and even the democratic process are all just stalking horses for white supremacy. That concept, as articulated in books by corporate consultant Robin D'Angelo's white fragility reduces everything, even the smallest and most innocent human interaction, to racial power contest. He talks about how it's mind-boggling that this book is popular, that its Hunger Games-style approach is dangerous for anyone who believes in old-school, little-d democratic values. Indeed, he said that really uh, what, what the book is is, quote, tricked-up, pseudo-intellectual, horse manure as corporate wisdom that it really is selling quote hitlerian race theory that the the white fragility book has a simple message there is no such thing as a universal human experience we are not defined by our individual personalities or moral choices but only by our racial category and if your category is white quote unquote whatever that means bad news you have no identity apart from your participation in white supremacy which naturally means a positive white identity is an impossible goal. 
talks of the so the article goes through how crazy this is, how dangerous this is, how this is Orwellian newspeak, how this is undermining of core principles of humanity and universality and individuality and Dr. King's I have a dream speech. So I highly recommend the Taibbi piece on white fragility. And even though he comes from the anti-Trump left, he recognizes how dangerous these French revolutionary-like, Marxian-like, Maoist-like, Khmer Rouge-like, Shining Path-like, uh, cultural, cancel culture uh, values and virtues are, how dangerous they are to the true values and the true virtues of an open tolerant, democratic, individually driven American society. Indeed, Glenn Greenwald refers to the White Fragility book as uh, as bleak and depressing that this that her, quote, cultish drama would govern the stilted way people of different races must interact with one another and how problematic this has become. In the same capacity, there was another good piece in Forbes called uh, on, beha- on Behalf of Environmentalists, I Apologize for the Climate Scare. And I'd like to go into detail about the book in the article. But right now it reads, from Forbes, the page is no longer active. We regret any inconvenience. So I'll have to come back to that another day. Meanwhile, of course, police are being called out to some of these protests and riots by the protesters and riots wanting pr- police protection. <laughs> in the same way... Uh, Minneapolis City Council have demanded private protection, private security protection, the same city council that demanded that the police be disbanded for everyone else. That's the kind of sort of insanity that is taking place in large parts of the country, and that has led to lawsuits. So we have a, a lawsuit in California challenging the governor's ability to legislate from the executive branch. A state court in California agreed found his actions unconstitutional, recognizing the necessity of separation of powers that's in the California Constitution like the United States Constitution, and is more pushback against these lockdown laws and lockdown rules from governors replacing the legislature and legislating on their own accord. A federal lawsuit in New York established that, in fact, what Governor Cuomo was doing was, in terms of churches, selectively targeting them for not being able to reopen at the same capacity as other private establishments, violated the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, and enjoined that order from going forward against churches. A class action suit was filed in Seattle against Chaz Chop because of, uh, and it wasn't filed against them, it was filed against the city because of the mayor's comments that supported and facilitated the development of Chaz and Chop even happening against the will of the local police. And so consequently, they're being sued under substantive due process, procedural due process, and nuisance grounds, two of the three of those grounds being constitutional 14th Amendment grounds, because the allegation is that the city aided, abetted, colluded, conspired to create Chop and Chaz as this separate little country within Seattle. And they are in the lawsuit over 50 pages long, goes into great egregious detail about how it has harmed one individual after the other, after the other, one business after the other, after the other, after the other, not being able to function in just their basic daily, everyday lives. Meanwhile, crime, of course, continues to skyrocket as Police continue to step back and step aside and step down in various locations across 
the country. So that New York saw a record, almost a record-setting level of crime uh, because of what has been taking place. About 12 deaths in 12 hours, 12 murders in 12 hours in New York City this past week due to what has been transpiring there, due to the police being sort of pushed back. All kinds of rioting scenes seen throughout different parts of the city. Uh, Michael Tracy similarly went up to Minneapolis and took photos of all the different businesses that are still shut down and how the businesses look like, you know, parts of the city look like something out of war-torn Bosnia, showing how minority businesses have to try to put that on the outside of their board so they don't get torched or burned down and still hasn't protected them most of the time. He notes about how grocery stores and tobacco stores still boarded up, how local business people are saying they took everything and may never be able to uh, recover again, may have to permanently close. Talking about Vietnamese restaurants and even immigrant restaurants and stores and establishments not being able to function, losing money because of what the rioting and the looting did in the Twin Cities. So in that content, and it's good on the ground reporting because your ordinary person frequently does not support this rioting, looting activity that we're seeing taking place uh, in a range of places. But cancel culture won't limit itself to just those on the opposite side politically. Now it's coming for Van Jones because Van Jones supported President Trump's criminal justice reform and helped pass it while the uh, he was working at CNN and CNN did not disclose that. For some reason, that's somehow CNN's fault or should be CNN's fault. It should not be Van Jones' fault. But now they're coming after Van Jones and they really want to cancel him just because he had anything positive to say ever about anything Trump has ever done. So when you have a left-leaning uh, pro, deeply pro-Obama, mostly Trump critic, now possibly being fired from CNN, who's an African-American, their most prominent African-American commentator, because cancel culture demands it, now you get a sense of how insane the current cancel culture has become. Indeed, they're still award-winning journalists for the Washington Post, still have their Jesse Smollett post up. They're not at any risk of being terminated, but somehow Van Jones is, simply because he thought the president did some good work on uh, the criminal issue of criminal justice that he helped facilitate and support. Another headline dealing, detailing the scope of what's happening in New York City, 112 people injured or killed in 83 shootings over just nine days in New York City. Police officer says, I haven't seen anything like this in my entire life. What may be complicating matters? A record level of resignations apparently taking place in New York City amongst its police force because it has no interest in being a target dummy for BLM or for the criminal organizations BLM is helping to promote or protect. You can go online and see real gunfights in live time or right after they happen in cities like Minneapolis and New York. That's how crazy the system has become in such a quick order. All of this, an effort and an attempt to effectively defeat President Trump. That's really what it's all about. And the, if we ma unmask the media, one of their main objectives, aside from the hype and hysteria with COVID-19, aside from the fake impeachment that should have never gone, fake basis for an impeachment that should have never gone forward, aside from the economic collapse the lockdown response to COVID-19 has created, aside from the fake news narratives that's driving the looting and rioting in the streets, aside from their embrace and subsidy of cancel culture that threatens people's jobs if they simply talk, speak their own mind politically. The other way they're pushing their 
efforts to basically dethrone Trump in the re-election efforts is polling. And if you look at that, what you will find in the polling data is something different than what the pollsters claim. So going back to 2016, I started studying polls because I had planned on voting or betting in the election 2016. I'd been betting on elections since 1988 in one way, shape, or form. And my standard for betting on an election, and this is an answer to different people that are worried about whether Trump can, in fact, get something done or not, uh, or whether he can win re-election in particular, is that here is my core model of how I approach betting on presidential elections. And that is I simply look at does the incumbent party, particularly if there's an incumbent then personally running, is the incumbent party united, number one. Because when the incumbent party has been united in the primary era since 1912, the incumbent has won every single time. What do I mean by united? I mean not facing a long contested primary from a challenger from within the system. The way in which uh, happened in 1968 in terms of the incumbent party, th there. In 1952, it happened, and Truman had to step down from even running for re-election. Happened again in 1968, Lyndon Johnson had to step down from even running for re-election. Uh, it happened again in 1976, when Gerald Ford was challenged by Ronald Reagan. Happened again in 1980, when Jimmy Carter was challenged by Ted Kennedy. Happened again in 1992, when Poppy Bush was challenged by, uh, in that case, Pat Buchanan. So what we see is a long history that when the incumbent party and the incumbent himself is challenged, they've actually usually lost. But when they have not been challenged, as happened in 1924, uh, though that was the incumbent party, as has happened multiple times, but let's say the incumbent themselves, 1916, Woodrow Wilson runs for re-election. This was before cancel culture would remove his name from Princeton University, as recently happened. Uh, he was not meaningfully challenged within the Democratic Party. He wins re-election. Same thing happened for you know Teddy Roosevelt to some degree uh, before, but then at that point, primaries were, had not been that common. Primaries really start to occur, though on a small scale, in 1912. So in 1916, Woodrow Wilson, not meaningfully challenged, wins re-election. Uh, 1936, FDR, not meaningfully challenged, wins re-election. Same in 1940, same in 1944. Same for Eisenhower in 1956. Same for LBJ in 1964. Same for Nixon in 1972. Same for Ronald Reagan in 1984. Same for Bill Clinton in 1996. Same for W in 2004. Same for Obama in 2012. What do they have all, all have in common? They don't all have in common that they led throughout their elections. That was not the case. Many of them were down, sometimes down by big numbers at different times. Even Reagan was purportedly down, according to ABC and other polls, in the summer in 1984, and he wanted a blowout. So by any of those measurements, what, is, what they all have in common is that if you're in the incumbent party and you are not challenged within your own primary process, within your own party, because you have a high job approval in the, in the 80s to 90s, then historically you win re-election. That's fact one that heavily favors President Trump. Fact two is the party in opposition sensing the strength of the incumbent, being obsessed over the incumbent, does not look at their uh, uh, nominating options and say, who in this group would make our best president? Instead, they look at their nominating options and say, 
who in this group reminds us the most of a politician. And that is how you get so many senators and ex-vice presidents as nominees in that context. So, and that's how that what, what transpires is that those candidates are actually weaker candidates. The more politician-y they are, the weaker they are. And that is also why that even though there have been over 10 senators or ex-vice presidents challenge incumbents for the White House, not a single one of them has won. They're 0 for 10. It is only governors who have defeated an incumbent. So the, and what did the Democratic Party do? They looked at the field, and they did not look and say who would make the best president because that probably would have been maybe the governor from Montana. Instead, they looked at it and said, who would be, who amongst this group is the biggest politician? Because in their minds, the biggest politician will, can compete with the person they're obsessed with beating. In fact, they're wrong about that. It's a bad logic, uh, as all of historical evidence shows and reveals, but it's where their mindset is. And so who do they nominate? They nominated the ex-vice president, ex-senator, biggest politician type you could nominate out of the, out of the entire nomination field, and that was Joe Biden. And he's somebody with massive baggage, baggage on corruption, baggage on trade, baggage on China, baggage on issues involved with the Flynn investigation and, and connection to Obamagate, a, a wide range of issues that he faces because of this situation. So he's almost a perfect foil for President Trump. So the fact that President Trump faced no meaningful opposition within his own party, in fact, probably the lowest level of opposition ever with, within his own party, and then and continues to have extraordinary high approvals within his own party, over 90% on average. We're talking about rates better than Obama, better than W. We're talking about rates close to Reagan-level approvals uh, within his own party. That, all of that says, his, historically, he should be a 90%-plus favorite to win re-election. Then his opponent is, comes from the category of Senate, VP, ex-vice president, politician types that have never beat an incumbent. So that, too, would say 90% favorite. And yet somehow the polls and the so-called data experts, people like Nate Cohen, people like Nate Silver, people like uh, uh, Elliot Morris, people like Harry Enten at either New York Times, the CNN, ABC, 538, The Economist, are all telling you Trump has no chance in some way, shape, or form. The New York Times Siena poll had Trump down 14 points. Uh, CNN was talking about how there's no way Trump can win. Uh, the economist, Elliot Morse, says it's 90% chance Trump loses. Now, what I have challenged every single one of these people to do, and what I've challenged them to do in 2016, is wager me. Just take even an honorary wager. It doesn't have to be money. Just a Twitter bet. It can be any kind of bet uh, on what's going to happen in the election. All of them are scared to do so. All of them refuse continually to do so. They're so confident they won't put any of their own skin in the game. Increasingly, it looks like it's what they want to have happen, not what their objective evidence would dictate. And that takes us to the polls themselves. So you can't trust the people analyzing the polls. That's step one. Step two is they're ignoring, of course, all the historical evidence that says Trump's going to win based on a united party and a weak opponent. Step three, though, is to look at the polls themselves. And here it's important to understand how polls have gone AWOL. Back when I studied this in 2016, I found there was one group the pollsters were missing. 
And the reason for this was polling has radically shifted over time. In the old days, polls were taken as straw polls by local journalists and people who knew their local neighborhood and local precinct chairmen and the local political machine. Then after that, polls were done, became scientific by Gallup, and they did it by going door to door, knocking on thousands and thousands and thousands of doors across the entire country and getting a fair cross-section of the population by doing in-personal interviews. Then that shifted to the landline phone when landlines were almost ubiquitous and universal and people answered polls at a very high rate, over half the people answering the polls when that started out. And those were still pretty fairly accurate. Had their problems, but not too egregious. Then in the 2000s, a lot of people quit keeping landlines and went to cell phones, number one. Number two, they put do not call list up so that they could not be contacted by pollsters. Part three, they just refused to answer the call when they were called. A, a rate, the uh, politic, uh, polling has always been part art, part science. The science part was getting random selection, getting random answers, getting a big enough group that you're getting a random subsample of the population. Because you're, you're talking to 1,000 people and telling the world what 300 million people are going to do based on talking to just 1,000 people. So you need those 1,000 people to be sufficiently random to create a true subsample of the 300 million. It was always going to be part art because that's a hard thing to do. But the scientific part was based on a large enough people participating in the poll so that the mode by which you polled, the method by which you polled, would get at least half the people or thereabouts to answer your poll. Then you could get enough that you knew you weren't just getting a weird self-selection bias, a non-random uh, profile such that you could no longer trust that the people you talked to actually reflected honestly and, and fully the opinions of 300 million plus. Well, that disappeared in 2000s because of the shift to cell phones, because of the use of do not uh, call, do not listen, you know, you can't effectively get through, and because people just refuse to answer polls. Today, often 98% of the people called for a poll will not answer that poll. That means you no longer have true random selection. There's something distinctive increasingly about the people who answer a poll. And that tells you only about their group within the electorate. It doesn't tell you about the whole electorate. And that's where when you dig deeper, what you find is that a particular group is being missed. And I'll tell you who that group is. It's non-Hispanic, non-evangelical, non-partisan, White men and women over the age of 25 who disproportionately live in rural areas. Guess what else that group is? That group is almost entirely missing from almost every poll out there. And, guess, and, and they're particularly concentrated in the Midwest. People forget back in 2016, Pennsylvania polls had Hillary Clinton up by 15 or 16 points. She lost the state. There were polls out of Michigan showing huge double-digit leads for Hillary Clinton. She lost the state. There were polls out of Wisconsin showing large single-digit, low double-digit leads for Hillary Clinton. She lost the state. They said Iowa was competitive. Trump won it by almost double digits. They said Ohio was competitive. Trump won it by almost double digits. So the, 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 the sort of misapprehension is particularly strong with one particular group, which is disproportionately represented in the key swing states. That's why the polls were so badly wrong in those states, especially. One way to think of the polls is like a spread that Vegas would set for a game. So they say one team should win by five points, and they say Hillary Clinton's up by five points, 
and you bet on Trump. If the polls are accurate, half the time when you bet on Trump, you should win, and half the time you should lose. Instead, you would win over 90% of the time betting that Trump was being underrated by the polls. That's bias in the polls. That's bad polling. All the people excusing and justifying the polling are doing some part because it's their job, but they're lying to themselves and lying to everyone else. The polls are crap. They're utterly unreliable. Anybody who relies upon them does not understand modern public opinion polling or is simply lying to themselves and others about it. Because that group was missed then, and it's even missing even more from the 2020 polls because I went in and researched it and studied it myself this past weekend. So once you figure out that group and adjust the polls for that, guess what the polls show? They show what the Trafalgar group shows out of Michigan, which is Trump slightly ahead. They show what the same Trafalgar group who got Michigan right in 2016 predicted about Wisconsin as well, shows Trump uh, barely ahead about by a point, and that's uh, again in Wisconsin. So their polling shows Trump, this is a dead heat, Trump with a slight lead, and that's probably the case because the biggest hit Trump took was on the economy. When the economy tanked, Trump's job approval on the economy went from plus 20, plus 25, net job approval down to about even. He needs to get the economy back up. But at the end of the day, once we're into the heart of election day, once we're in the heart of election season, and the pub public looks at there and says, who gives us the best chance for our economy to come back? Who gives us the best chance for security on our streets? Who gives us the best chance for safety around the world? The answer is going to be Trump, Trump, Trump for those key swing working class voters. And everything else they're pushing is just fake news propaganda, fake poll information in order to try to deflate Trump's enthusiasm to excite Trump's opponents and adversaries, to try to trigger Trump into making a political mistake by overinterpreting and overreacting these fake news uh, narratives that are being pushed by these fake polls. And so as long as the president stays steady, as long as the president stays strong, he should be able to overcome the media's effort to dethrone him and defeat him, their campaign against him, as long as he unmasks the media's coup attempts against him and the attempts to defeat him and sticks to his agenda and sticks to his promises and sticks to his core base, then come November 4th, 2020, we're going to wake up to the second term of President Donald J. Trump. That's what I'm predicting, and that's what I'm going to be betting on. Thanks for joining us, and come back tomorrow for another edition of American Countdown. When do you think the people should be able to like talk again? The pe the deep oh, person. Oh yeah, 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 that's a good that's a good question. Um, well, Alex Jones at least has Infowars.com. He can do yeah, his own thing, own. and people go to that. And Gavin's got a show still. Does he? Yeah. You know, as someone who's kind of for all for free speech, I often get told that I'm bad because I and I have to defend people whose language I don't agree with. That is 
what free speech is. It's not defending everyone who says things that I love. It's, it doesn't make any sense because that means you're right all the time. Like if you're only defending the things that you believe in, yeah, you, you write all the time about everything. But I have to defend the people who say things that are even atrocious and that I can't, I would never get on board with because in that's what free speech is. Otherwise, yes. and like you said, it is that slippery slope of who gets to be the arbiter of what is said. Right. And what are your what are your guidelines? Alex Jones is funny than Andy Kaufman's ever been. Alex Jones is. F- Hilarious often. Did you see often. the whole Bill Hicks that he's Bill Hicks? Yeah, no. Conspiracy? That's not real. I went down that, that rabbit hole. So, that's the silliest shit ever. I know, but there are videos. But he had a, one thing <laughs> we're talking about like if uh, it's between his family starving or eating his neighbor. He, oh, he's I know. like, I'll eat your ass. I and thought... so it became this jack. Come on. I will eat your ass. Do you don't think there's an entertainment value in him saying he's going to eat my his neighbor? Fire. Right. But there's something to that, like to, ba- to stop that and ban that. You're you're not you're not stopping anyone from you're not stopping anybody from anything bad by not having Alex do this entertaining thing about eating his neighbor. You're not saving anybody. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like you gotta you, you gotta like what are you doing? Like what is he doing that's so awful? I don't know how to fix any of it. This it's it's entertaining. Like, why is it only acceptable if you have some kind of entertainment? Because there's so many rap videos that you could watch that I enjoy, but they're talking about shooting people and robbing people, and it's everywhere on YouTube. Yeah. It's so prevalent, yeah. and somehow or another, that's okay. Like, it's f***ing weird what's allowed and what's not allowed. I will your leftist ass like corn on the cob. I'm ready. I will. guys, Rob Dew here with InfoWarsStore.com, and I want to tell you about something that I think has really helped me out and I think can help you out too, especially if you have any problems sleeping, and that's knockout. Let's face it, our life patterns have been disrupted by this lockdown, this government-imposed imprisonment, and it has definitely affected my sleep schedule. But one thing that has helped is knockout. I take one pill about an hour before I want to go to bed, and boom, I get a great night's sleep. And just this past Memorial Day, I took two of them, fell asleep about 1 a.m., woke up at 8 a.m., 
ready to go. It really has made a difference in my life and it can make a difference in your life too. If you don't get any sleep, you're going to be a grouch. If you get great sleep, you're going to be on point. You're going to be mentally focused. You're going to be ready to take on the day. And right now, Knockout is 50% off. It's less than $15 a bottle. You get 30 capsules. Give it a try today. It's at a great price right now and it can really help you get the sleep you need, especially in these tough times. It's Knockout and it's available at InfoWarsStore.com. This is your emergency broadcast system announcing the commencement of the annual purge. At the siren, all crime, including murder, will be legal for 12 hours. Your government thanks you for your participation. We played a lot of purge games this evening. We have just one more. It's called Mommy's Choice. Which one of you will survive this year's purge? The soul of our country is at stake. The purge targets the poor and the innocent. Blessed be America for letting us purge and cleanse our souls. Join me as we eliminate evil. Purge It's finally here. Introducing the new Survival Shield X2 Spray. Available now for 33% off at InfoWarsStore.com. Listeners have been asking us for months to develop an iodine spray made with our exclusive Deep Earth Crystal Nascent Iodine. Our proprietary new Aerodyne technology allows us to harness the full power of ancient iodine crystals from 7,000 feet below the Earth's surface into the ultimate spray formula. Iodine is an essential mineral that helps support thyroid health, healthy metabolism, and healthy cognitive function. Get the new Survival Shield X2 spray for 33% off intro pricing at InfoWarsStore.com. That's Survival Shield X2 spray at InfoWarsStore.com.